You're listening to Pastors, Preachers, People in the Pew. I'm Kenny Garrett. I'm Jason Johnson. I'm Lori Johnson. Today we're going to pick up where we left off in the last episode, talking to Miss Lori. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Was was it uh, everything you dreamed your first podcast was going to be? Even better. Even even better. Hmm. It's a neat experience. I enjoyed it. I enjoy it. Well, today I want to pick up not so much in the time frame of a testimony, but what it takes for a person to come out of addiction and um, for their hope in life uh, to be in Christ. And what does that actually look like for the average person? All right. Um, well, for me, I, I think it's different for everybody, but for me, support, having a, a strong support system is, is huge. Um, I personally don't feel that I could have ever recovered um, without the support of, of friends and family and um, like life coach type people. And um, so support is huge. Um, having faith in God is number one in growing your relationship with Him. Um, but but more than anything, just staying connected, staying connected, no isolating. I think especially um, just in my experience, I watched the devil along the years tries to isolate people and tries to like you'll get they'll get saved and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. And whether they believed the lie or they got or their feelings hurt or whatever it was. Um, it's like, it's like it tries to draw you away from the connection. And so I feel, I feel like connection is, is key in, in recovery and, in walking out this, this thing with the Lord. So when you say connection, you're talking about connection with God. Connection with God and people. So how do you achieve that? Uh, (laughs) What, what does that look like in the life of a believer when it's done well? I believe that it is a daily um, relationship that you wake up in the morning, hey, God, it's me. Help me through this day. Um, Thank you for this day. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for for waking me up. I think gratitude is a huge piece as well because um, if if you don't focus on the positive, sometimes the negative can be overwhelming, especially when you're in the beginning of, of recovery. Um, there's normally a lot of negatives still hanging around, right. whether that's consequences that you're still having to walk out or you're, you know, maybe you haven't gotten custody back of your children or, or maybe you're still dealing with withdrawal. Um, there, there's a lot of negative that it would be very easy to focus on and, and staying grateful for, an, for life, for a second chance, for moving forward, for coming out of the darkness um, for me was a huge thing. And so... Um, just waking up and being thankful for the day, and then um, some point throughout that day, communicating with someone who is a support, somebody that you can bounce things off of. Um, if you're struggling, especially some, but I don't think it has to be just when you're struggling. Somebody that you talk to on a daily basis. If we're talking in terms of recovery and and growing your relationship with the Lord, right? Right. It has to be somebody that on a daily basis, I'm just communicating with them so that if something does come up and I am in a struggle, I also 
Like I'm already in a habit of talking to that person. It's easier to reach out if you're already building a relationship with a support person. So who's the, is there a... (laughs) Who is the support? (laughs) Yeah, who is that? Like, how do you pick that person? Uh, Because in my opinion, I don't think it would be wise to necessarily go after someone in your life previous. No, it has to be, it has to be a new, a new person or someone that you've not used with, um, a family member that maybe wasn't connected to your addiction that isn't connected to your addiction, like someone outside the circle. Right. Um, so you didn't have a daily communication with them before. Yes. That you're growing a new, I mean, you could have had a daily communication with them, but they couldn't have been an enabler or someone that your addiction greatly impacted. Right. You know what I mean? Um, or that you used with, in my opinion. So, yeah, I agree with that um, to an extent. Because, you know, parents, they're great support, but when they've been greatly impacted, it can skew the way that they perceive things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and so because... A, a parent is a great support. Like I think about my mom and when I first got clean and when I first got saved and how she was a great support to me. Right. But when I struggled, I didn't call her because my addiction at one point in her life consumed her because all she could think about was how to help me. And so rather than call her, I had other people. You know, that I would call and reach out to and, hey, you know, can we pray together or, or let's talk or, or whatever. So, well, yeah, I think that goes into honesty a little bit mm-hmm. because your mom wants you to succeed so badly that you may not, you may be tempted not to be honest with what you're going through. Sure. Uh, in an effort. I mean, we're, we're just human, yeah. you know. Because you don't want to let them down. Right. So it needs to be somebody who's not going to take personal your struggle. Right. If that makes sense, um, that wouldn't become consumed or with worry. Um, a lot of times when you go through a treatment program, um, they give you resources. Um, I know I've, I've been through several different treatment programs and they never left me without a list of resources. Now it was up to me whether I use those resources. And I can tell you from experience that when I use the resources and I got connected to people and I used my safe people, that is that is the time that I had the most success and when I felt the strongest. Um, but when I didn't, normally it's because I had a another agenda going on and I was already headed towards drugs. Like just not using your safe people is like setting yourself up to fail. Right. But you touched on something there yeah. that I've seen throughout my life. They're just, to put it in other words, there comes a point in the addict's life if they've turned to Christ where you turn everything over to God and you start to put the things that are important to God uh, first in your life. Yes. And it's not just a, the idea of just knocking it off or quitting some behavior, but you start, you know, with the, when you're talking about the gratitude and the, uh, the prayers in the morning, you're really talking about aligning your desires and your will with God's will. That's what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're seeing God as the creator and the giver of all things that we, uh, you know, use on, on, in this earth. So 
once you turn your whole life over in that fashion, you start to uh, admit that you're not in control. Mm-hmm. And when I when I see somebody that succeeds, it's generally because they've taken that step and they're no longer trying to control the outcome. And yes. when we see somebody that fails, they're very much holding on to that control. They're trying to run their own railroad, and they decide what's good and what's bad. And yeah. The, mm-hmm. They can do just a little bit of this, and it's, it's all okay because I have this under control. Yeah. But it's really that control that's the root problem. Yeah, I agree. I think surrender is key. It's 100% key. And I think that when a person truly surrenders to the will of the Lord, then that's when their change really begins to happen. And as far as me, when I was looking for my support people and trying to figure that out even in my own walk, I looked for men of integrity right? who I wanted my walk to look like. Somebody that I knew I could trust, somebody that wouldn't judge me, but who I could tell walk with integrity. And did you come up with that on your own? Yeah. Is that a... uh, Because it it always... Is that... Did you see... I mean, I knew that if I went to backsliding Bob, I was (laughs) going to be right back backslidden, you know what I mean? So I, I didn't realize at the time that that's what I was looking for. But I have had some friends, you, uh, Gary Quarles, Steve Todd. Some f- the Lord began to surround me with men of God who had been walking the walk for a long time and didn't judge me that I could call on if I needed them. Right. And it, now looking back, it was like he was he he put them people in my life. But now I still look for men like that to dips with. So when you realize that you're surrounding yourself and that God has it planned out, did you read any other like secular books, uh, self-help stuff? Because that's part of what's in a self-help type idea where uh, mentorships, uh, Laura used the term life coach. Mm-hmm. These ideas are prevalent all throughout the bookstores, online, that sort of thing. But that is really a biblical concept. Paul says, imitate me as mm-hmm. I imitate Christ. Right. Yes. Right. So it's not a an off-the-wall type idea that somebody's come up with. It's very biblical mm-hmm. in its stance. So, And you have to be, I think, deliberate in those oh, yes. relationships. You have to be intentional. Right. You have to know that you are... You have to, in my in my experience, I had to treat growing in the Lord and my recovery like like I did, like I had to go after that with more fervor than and passion than I did the drugs. And I mean, if you think about it, an addict chases their drugs from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. It's it's consuming you. It's it's all you think about. It's all you do. The next like you don't go to bed normally till you have the next day set up sometimes. And so when you're when you're especially an addict in that is it is growing in the Lord, you have to have that same commitment to I'm gonna make connections. I'm gonna keep these connections. I'm going to stay connected to Christ. I'm going to read my word. Reading the word is is so so important because that's where the renewing of the mind comes in. 
And if we, if we miss that piece, then it's all works. You know what I mean? Like we're praying to God, but it, we're, we're missing this, the transformation piece that happens in your mind just from reading the word of God and applying it to your life. You learn and you grow and you get stronger as you read the word and as you walk with the Lord and as you stay connected to people. And it just kind of, it just strengthens you. You just become stronger, almost like, like it's easy, <laughs> but it's not, right. but it just kind of falls into place, you know, and um, not saying you don't ever have bad days, but when you're connected and you're staying connected to not only God, but people and reading your word and and, and staying connected to a body and, and giving God praise, it it um, it just it just flows. It just flows, and things just just make sense. Well, it, it not only strengthens you, but I think it matures you. Yes. Uh, yeah. The Word of God yeah. uh, matures us. How how have you found that that's affected you, Jason, through your ministry? The Word. Yeah, like like the the maturity of the Word and the growth in Christ. Because it's not the same today as it was ten years ago. Oh Lord, no! It um, the word um, the Bible says it's a washing of the water of the word, right? And so the more that I read, a couple things happen. The more that I read, the more that I study, the the more revelation I get, the more I realize I don't know. Right. And the more I read, the more I understand how much my need for him is and how much I lack. And so it washes me, it cleanses me, it makes me realize that I need a savior. And it helps me to not want to do things. And so I tell people all the time that we call this a walk with God, not an arrival. Because every day we just try to take another step towards the Lord. Right. Uh, and if we just continue to take step after step after step, I heard somebody say small disciplines done consistently lead to big results over time. Oh, absolutely. And so I try to do those small disciplines in the small things that I learn in the Word. If I begin to put those into practice, then you begin to mature yourself over time through the word is do you because most of the the people that Jason named or ministers or have some some sort of ministry does the person that is new in your life you're accountable to you're communicating with you're connected with it's not always the pastor no right no in my case, it has not, not been the pastors. Um, I actually don't have any pastor friends that I'm really would consider a mentor. Um, but that's a whole nother issue because I'm a pastor's kid and those things the Lord's dealt with, dealing with me about and I've had to resolve within myself. But people that I was connected to were um, just safe people. I had a couple life coaches, but um, people who had maybe gone through the program ahead of me and we're doing well. I had a couple of people in my life like that um, that were in treatment but had succeeded and were now living and had years sober that be- turned around and then became mentors. Right. Um, it hasn't always been Christians for me. Um, 
that I that I bounced that were there to when as far as the diction side of things were um, there to just remind me of what I was fighting for. Um, not saying that you you shouldn't use Christians because I think that having a Christian voice and especially when we're talking about relationship with the Lord is key. Um, but I've had all different kinds of mentors and things and people in the church. Um, and, and like Jason said earlier, God is faithful in bringing the resources. When he sees that you're surrendered and you're, you're serious about this, right. time and time again, I've watched him line up not only my life, but other people's lives with, with help, with, with, with people who will rally around you. But it's up for that person to to see it for what it is and not run from it. Um, I know in the, er, early on for me, I, I didn't trust people, and I feared rejection. And so it was it was it wasn't easy for me to open up to people and let them be a safe place for me because I was afraid that they would reject me, whether they knew me or not. I just had this fear of rejection. And so working through that with the Lord was a process as well. But um, it's, just, it's just being willing to go after it. Sometimes it's, um, I always go back to the church because that's how I'm wired. I think, the, I think that one of God's greatest blessings to us on earth here is the local church. So the church should be a safe place for us to explore our gifts, for us to mm-hmm. display our talents, to find these relationships. Uh, you know, I'm all about the local church. Like, I, I you know, it's, it's a part of who we are. And people that, but there has to be a church there that honesty is available. You just shouldn't have to hide things from the church. It should be a open, honest relationship and discussion, because if you're still trying to keep these things hidden, keep the behaviors hidden, uh, making sure that nobody finds out, you're not nearly as far along as you believe yourself right. to be. Yeah. Right. And that's where I've seen most people fail over the years, is when they really are trying to have things both ways, mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to appear well, but not be. Yes. Uh, so I, you know, I'm I'm big on honesty and and seriousness, as you said. I like to always say that uh, when they're serious, so are we. You know, mm-hmm. if you're serious about changing your life, then yeah. so are we. If you've tried a hundred times before, that's okay. Mm-hmm. If you're serious now, so are we. Mm-hmm. But if you're not, then I've got other things to do. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most folks just need one or two people that believe they can change uh, and truly believe that and are kind of along for the ride. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, totally. Not just want them to change, but really believe they can. Yeah, really support them and really rally around them, yes. Yeah. I don't think it takes a whole tribe. (laughs) I mean, that's good. The more you have, the better. But I think that just one or two is enough somebody else to come and kind of iron sharpens iron kind of come alongside and and challenge and and pour into that person you know right. yeah i think a large portion of it is the reason why a large portion of the people that go back 
go back because they're not tired of their own way. They're not fully surrendered. They're not committed. Like we've we've said this already today, but it just keeps hitting in my brain. A backslider and heart shall be filled with his own way. Right. You know, and those that do go back, no matter, some people will have the best support groups out there and everything else, but they want to hold on to one little piece of their life and they're hiding it. So it goes back to the honesty thing you were saying. They're, they're afraid to tell people this one thing or they have a reservation in their heart and they don't want to fully surrender everything. They want to hold on to one little piece of their life that they could have complete control over and it winds up leading them back out. Well, yeah, it, the uh, you know the illustrations in the Bible that they use, sheep just don't dart out, right? You know, and there's a reason that God uses that. They don't use it. You just don't open the door to the sheep pen or the sheep lot, whatever they keep them in, and they just bolt. They just simply kind of graze themselves lost. A little nibble here, yeah, right to the, the little next foxes blade. That spoil the vine. Right, a little bit, a little bit, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're far, far mm-hmm. uh, from where they started. And that's how it is. I think it's just, it's it's maybe not going to church on that Sunday. It's because it's easy when you first get out, get go, like get sober and walk with the Lord. Honestly, it is a li- it is easy in the very beginning because you're excited and right. you're you're feeling good and and God is so good to to bring blessings and and things immediately to kind of like love on you, you know. So you're you're surrounded with positivity and goodness, but it's it's after a while when you when the 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 goodness and the not that the goodness wears off, but like the the high almost, they call it like a pink cloud and the the world of recovery um, kind of wears off. But like the the euphoria of I'm doing this and I'm excited starts to wear off. And all of a sudden it's the day to day, you know, and walking with the Lord. And I think that's key for people to come alongside them at that point that can say, this is how we do this. You know what I mean? Because... It, their own will is is driving them in the beginning, and then after a while, it's like the the devil starts knocking, and then they're the people are are not around. You know what I mean? It's like that's why people coming alongside people and and continuing to encourage them in the Lord is is so important because um, you do kind of come down from it um, from the excitement of it, I guess. Right from the the excitement of the journey beginning. Yes. Yeah. To, to when now you're actually putting doing one it. foot in front of the yeah. other and you're doing it, and it's a mm-hmm. little scarier now. Yeah, especially especially if you don't have any knowledge of the Word of God or a relationship with the Lord. Like, I had a church background, so some, some of it was right, some of it was wrong, and I had to kind of decipher through that. But um, especially, like, I, I have, I have uh, befriended and mentored women who had no biblical knowledge whatsoever, like that, that didn't know where where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were, or Genesis, right. or anything. Like that, that literally were like, well, where do you mean? Where's that at? Well, how do I find that? Well, where should I start reading? Well, well, when I feel like I read, I can't understand, and you know, I can't memorize scripture, and so like, there's a lot of people that are dealing with that too, even in the church. So oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, it's we can't minimize the challenge that lies ahead sometimes. 
And I, I think as far as people, if we talk about the support system, it's important for the people who come along the addicts or in the recovery or just new Christians to be patient and understand that, that this is a whole new ball game for them, you know, right. and, um, and not just, they haven't been walking like maybe you have for years, you know. What about, and we kind of touched on that, is when we see people that fail, what do you do now? Obviously, we're heartbroken mm-hmm. when that happens. But yeah. what does uh, the future look like from Get the up. standpoint <laughs> of an addict? Like, so, so you've relapsed. Now, what do you do as a believer, uh, but someone who's also in trouble at that point? Yeah, my what I always say is get up as quickly as you fa- have fallen. Get up, and that may that may look you know different. In, in different circumstances, but as soon as you catch it, get up, repent. I mean, run to the Lord. As, I mean, most most people who are walking with the Lord and in addiction um, run pretty quickly are like, man, I messed up. I mean, we're good. If I can say anything about my addicts is we're good at beating ourselves up. Like, right. we don't even need the devil because we're, right. we're just, we just do that. We just walk around with hammers in our hand, beating ourselves up all the time. So most addicts I've met anyways have been that way. And so already we're like, man, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. And don't stay in that condemnation because condemnation isn't from God. Conviction's from from God, but not condemnation. And so don't stay in that guilt and that shame. Repent, get up, and, and start a new day. God's mercy is new every morning. He said that on purpose. I feel like, because he knows that we're not going to be perfect. He knows we're going to miss the mark. And so in my, to my, I always say, get up. You fell, get up, shake it off. God, God, God knew. He knew. He knew the times I was going to mess up. I didn't catch him off guard. It's not like he was like, dang it, Lori, I got to rewrite your whole story now. You know, he, he screwed it all up. Like he knows, he knows that we're going to mess up. So just understanding that um, repentance, having a, I think it's important, especially to to have a relationship of forgiving yourself quickly and letting go and repenting quickly, especially when you when you fall. You know, like just we can't waller in it. It doesn't do us any good. What should the answer from the church be? I think the answer from the church should be run, run to them. Yeah, uh, and the reason I say that, I've tried it multiple different ways, and I know as far as what Lori said, the answer's right, but it's for me it was never that easy. Mm-hmm. Getting up was just not. I'm just going to get up. Right. In my mind, it was like God don't want to talk to me. Nobody in the church wants to talk to me. I don't want to talk to me. I don't even want to face what I've become. I don't even want to see myself in that mirror. I just want to escape. Right. I'm ashamed of what I've done. What I've done, I was suicidal. I was just a lunatic, ready to violent. Just, I hated life. And so for me... 
the Bible says iron sharpens iron. I knew the word pretty well when I backslid. And if and, and the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And if that's the case, then isolation leads to a dull blade. Right. And so when we're isolated, our sword's no longer working like it should, even if we know it. Because the blades are dull and it's not cutting like it should. And on top of that, we're beating ourselves up. And we're we're wanting to self-isolate more. And you don't want to be around people. But when people come to you, it starts breaking those walls down. Whether you know it or not, it's putting some edges back on your sword, back on that blade. And so just for instance, I had a, uh, I have a friend of mine. He's clean today. He just got out of treatment again. But about two treatments ago, he, he got out of treatment, was doing good for a while, and relapsed. And me and three other guys went to his house. When we knew he was going home from his relapse, we went to his house. And he had probably been up four or five days, was acting like a lunatic, was acting like he was crazy. And we went there, and he was arguing with us, and we were arguing with him for a while. Finally, I said, stop, stop. Everybody just stop talking. And I told him to come here. And I hugged him. I said, I love you, man. I am not mad at you. And neither is God. You just need to get up. And I hugged him. And then the other brother came over and hugged us. And then the other one came over and it was like a big group hug around this dude. And his heart broke. And he just started crying. And he said, I'll get help. Let's go. And so we took him to a hospital. And they kept him. For, they kept him overnight. He got released the next morning, went to an outpatient program that wound up not working, uh, but he's clean today. He wound up finding somewhere, and he, he did get himself back on track. But the point is, we went to him. And so what I know from when I was a drug dealer and a drug user to what I am now as a Christian, when... When I was using and selling drugs, if I had somebody that I hadn't talked to for a few weeks, they hadn't called, they didn't buy no drugs, nothing like that, I thought, hmm, they haven't called me. They've probably got some money saved up. I need that money. Right. And so I would go visit them as a drug dealer to try to get them to buy drugs. Now, if the drug dealers are going to them, but the Christians aren't. What hope do they have? Well, that's a that's a major thing because I it's been my experience in my from my view, church doesn't know what to do. Yeah, intimidated. They would go, but they don't know what they would do when they got there. So they don't want to be in that situation. Mm-hmm. So they just do nothing and you know, uh, this is not how I don't think this is how God designed it. For the church to do nothing, for Christians to do nothing, like we have a a part to play in this, you know? right? Uh, just like you said. Yeah, I know. I mean, Jesus met the woman at the well when she was going. She would go there to in the evening 
to meet men. That's what she did. She was a prostitute. And it was like he went there. I think he was there to get water, but he also was there on an agenda from heaven. And he met her in her her area. You know what I mean? Her right. what she was doing, her business. You know, and um I think that's what we have we have to be willing to do is 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 get out of our comfort zone and meet people right where they are. Not not start partaking with them. Like don't go to the bar and <laughs> sit down and drink a Coke and think that, that you know, that type of question. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you get there without really being there? I think I think it's important not to go alone. I think it's important mm. to go in twos or threes. Um and and have an have an agenda. Have this is what we're gonna say. Have some type of plan, even if the plan does not fall fall through. Even if it doesn't, even if ABCD does not happen, because most of the time when you're dealing with an addict that's relapsed, ABCD will not happen. Right. So at least have some type of agenda, some type of plan. And um and and most of all, it would be to love. It would be to to love. It would not be to condemn. It would be to, I've just been thinking about you. I've been praying about you. Been on my heart, kind of letting them know that you care. Because there's a there's a rap song. I think look who sings that rap song that says that people don't want to know what you have to say until they know that you care. Um, something along those lines, and that's true. Well, what happens, so when you guys go to his house, he's been up for three or four days, what happens there? What's different about that that leads to you guys leaving together to go to the hospital, get some a treatment, as opposed to you guys just start partying too? Well, one, we had an agenda. Two, we were not alone, like Lori said. And uh, we, each one of us individually felt like we were mature enough to handle that. Mm -hmm. And if it would have came to that, we knew our escape plan. Just leave. Right. You know, so we had an escape plan. We already, we weren't sure if it wasn't even going to get violent when we saw him. There were a few times where I thought I was going to have to hit him, and I bet every other guy <laughs> thought the same thing. He get, he was getting kind of irate, and uh, he's bigger than me, and I thought, this dude comes at me. I'm going to have to <laughs> pop him once and love him on the way to the hospital. <laughs> um, I say that kiddingly, but it was there were moments where I wondered if it was going to get violent. Um but we were not alone. You know, there were multiple of us there. Like Lori said, I, I don't, I agree. Yet. I do not think that you should ever put yourself in that kind of situation if you can avoid it, especially if you have had that kind of past. So let's say if Jim, Pastor Jim or Pastor Bill needed to go get him, if they went by themselves, I'm not too much going to worry. Right. You know. Um, <laughs> well, th- well, that that leads me to the next thing I want to talk about, because Lori brought up, uh, you know, Christ at the well, mm-hmm. and the lady's a prostitute, and that's where she's going to apply her trade and to meet men and stuff. Why isn't Christ confused with uh, John at that point, for lack of a better phrase? 
Because hmm. I have a, there's a lady down at the, um, I don't know if she's still alive or not, down at the Dayton church, church where we were down there. She used to come around and one time she demanded that Mark drive her somewhere, and I forget where it was, take me here, take me there. And you know Brother Mark is hands down one of the nicest people you will ever meet in your entire life. He would do anything for anyone. He's a little naive, though. Right. So he says, yeah, I'll take you. She gets in the car, and he takes her to a house, and she exits. I think I'm telling that right. Maybe to... I don't know exactly where he did take her, but she gets out of the car and goes about her way. He comes back to the church, and I said, Mark, you can't can't do that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I felt safe. And I said, it's not really about your safety. Uh, I said, she probably has a, a record and for solicitation or something like that. I said, if, the, if she's known to the police, the police see her get in your car. Uh, you're going to have some explaining to do. And I started laughing. I said, because you don't really know where she's going. You don't really know where she lives, and you probably really don't even know her name. And uh, the next place you're going is not back to the church if the cops ask you those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, oh, I never even thought about that. So while most people wouldn't confuse Brother Mark with going there and being there, in those situations, but not being active participant, like Brother Jim, Brother Bill, uh, like Christ is identified there because their identity lies in another world. There's so much about God's business and mm-hmm. uh, the Christian life that you wouldn't easily confuse their intentions and their being there. Would right. you say that's yeah, that's a fair representation? Because that, that's always been in the back of my mind. Because my goal is to get to a place like Brother Jim or, or Brother Bill where if you saw them uh, talking to uh, whomever, you wouldn't have, if you saw them talking to a drug dealer, you would know automatically that the drug dealer is hearing the gospel, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there wouldn't be a doubt in your mind about that. So our goal should always be to live that kind of life and to have mm-hmm. that witness I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, I mean, you don't you don't go trying to save people when you're saving yourself. Right. <laughs> Not saving yourself, like Christ saves us, but you know what I'm saying. When you're fresh out of recovery um, or fresh in this walk, you, you're not going to go. I mean, you might go with other, other mature Christians, but you're not going to go by yourself or with a bunch of other new Christians. Right. Um, I think it's important to have maturity among you, and and have people that could could you know could speak could and people would trust their word. You know, um, I, I I thought about that scripture that said, "Why are you trying to remove?" And this may not apply, but the "Why are you trying to remove the t- the twig out of your um, brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of yours?" And I think it's important to me that scripture means. That that just encourages me all the more to walk right with the Lord and gr- continue to grow, so that I'm not ever guilty of trying to to fix somebody when I've got a whole mess going on in my own 
stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know if that applies here. That's just what I was thinking. Like, we, our walk, before we go out trying to save a bunch of people, right. we need to make sure that we don't have planks and <laughs> sticking out of our eyes, you know? <laughs> um, so, and maybe that's what hinders people from reaching out because they know their own skeletons, well, you know? sometimes it's not easy. I'm, uh, and I've paid the cost here at our own church. And when I say that, when you deal with somebody that is not living a biblical life, be it addiction, uh, adultery, lying, you know, the the sinful list goes on and on. Whatever's in their life, if you deal with that and you mention that and you try to help them, sometimes it may not go well for you. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. a fight ensues. You know, it's not always... Violent. <laughs> yeah, but there's like this whole ordeal that you have to deal with. It would have been easier had you just kept mm-hmm. your mouth shut, went about your business, and let things go. But that's not really what we're here to do. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah, what we're called right. to do. Mm-hmm. It's not walking in the light. Um, so that can keep us kind of, you know, hold us back if it hasn't went well for us in the past. Yeah. I had a had a, and it doesn't really pertain to anything, but. I always look on it and kind of chuckle. I had a dream that the church was packed, and I was sitting up on the front pew, and like everybody I knew was there, and Brother Jim takes to the pulpit, and he announces that they're going to talk about every sin that I have ever committed, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I remember thinking in a dream, I'm smiling still because I'm in church, and I'm a pastor, and I'm thinking, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember running away. You know, that wasn't part of the dream. I didn't escape. I sat there and smiled, and I dreaded it, but I knew that it was for my own good was the the idea. And I know it's just a dream, but... Well, I think that I like that dream because I think that one thing that the church often lacks in dealing with addicted when they backslide is... You said in that dream, you knew it was going to be unpleasant, but you knew you'd be okay. Right. Because you knew the church, you loved the people, mm-hmm. and you knew they loved you. Right. And you knew it was for your own good. I don't think a lot of people feel that always from the church, whether it's from the church itself or a lie from the enemy. But I think a lot of people, when they backslide, they don't feel loved by the church. Mm -hmm. They feel judged. Mm -hmm. They don't feel welcome back. They don't even always feel like this is for my own good. Right. Sometimes they feel like this, they are trying to hurt me. And if you don't know that people truly love you, then you can't take that kind of correction or whatever it may be. If you don't know they love you. Right. Now, were you guys, was the church part of your recovery? Yes. In a, in a, and when I say the church, I mean the church like I think of it. These are our people. I'm part of them. Yeah, 100%. Um, Mine... I, I I went to treatment and and the treatment program was at a church on the church grounds where I went, 
um, the one we're talking about anyways. And so um, the director of that program was like the church to me, you know what I'm saying, right. and the staff. Um, did I build relationships with the other people in the congregation? Yes, but not the pastors or the ministers. I felt very unseen by them, to be honest. Um, but it's a bigger church. It's, I mean, it's considered a mega church. So that could have been part of, you know, there's a lot of people that they have to see on a Sunday. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so yes, but like we went to church, they established, and I think it's so important in, while I was getting sober, um, we go to church every Sunday, every sat, every every Wednesday. So the habit of of getting connected and going to church and that is built into your recovery. You know what I mean. And so I think that's really important too, to to not just go here and there and not like build a habit of being at church when the doors are open. Well, it's not just to be at church. Because if you're going just to go, That's you're right. missing it. You're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. You're going to to be mm. part of those connections and part of that people of God that is yeah. assembled. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 doing it correctly at that mm-hmm. point. And for mm-hmm. me, what really began to help me is when I began to serve in the church, because I had a purpose yeah, outside of myself. Right. Just something small to do. Mm-hmm. But I had a purpose outside of myself that I had to be at church because I had to do this. And if I didn't go, who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, even if it was just some small little opening the door or, or carrying the offering bucket or showing people to their seats or, or whatever. When I began to serve in the church, the greatest revelation I ever got still to this day, aside from needing Jesus Christ as my Savior, was that I needed to serve. And, you know, the Bible even says that Jesus himself came not to be served, but to serve right? and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I think that when you come out of addiction, that you need to get plugged in and start serving somewhere. No matter what it is, you need to have some little job because then you're doing... it's just so much bigger than yourself in that moment. And it brings you so much joy to think that you're adding to what's going on on a Sunday morning or Wednesday or whenever the service is. Not only that, but relationships grow from that. Yeah. Like if you get yourself plugged in, you'll meet people. Right. And and relationships will grow from that. And they don't necessarily have to be connected to to the recovery piece of your story. Just people that you're doing life with in the church and growing in the Lord with is is so important. Well, we we started um, probably a little over two years ago. We started having lunch every day after service, and it wasn't just so that we could eat, right? It was more of a time to sit down and just catch up with one another, and that's mm-hmm. what church here became about, and I'm very thankful for that, that yeah. most of the congregation was on board with that. And even through COVID, the one thing that they're complaining about is not so much that we've scaled back on our number of church services throughout the week, but they want to get together and eat again yeah. because they miss one another. Mm-hmm. So while they're here, they're you know, socially distant and that sort of thing. 
but they love the chance to, you know, to sit down, take mm-hmm. a few minutes and check in with one another, mm-hmm. you know, in a meaningful way. Yeah. That, I think God, God created us to be relational. I think right. it, it's within our DNA <laughs> um, to be relational, to have relationships, to grow relationships, to grow together and, and to lean on each other when we're weak or, or whatever. And when I was growing up um, in the church, that's some of my sweetest and fondest memories was like potluck dinners right. after, after service that we would have. I loved those Sundays, not because just because the food was amazing and there was all different kinds of foods, but <laughs> because we were all like one big family, you know, hanging out and playing and togetherness. And um, I feel like that's something that the, I'm, I honor you guys for doing that because that's something that the church culture has kind of lost. And I feel like the Lord is kind of bringing us back to that, though, the, the intimacy and the relationship piece in, within the church. Um, but I, I think, too, you know, with, with new Christians, bring, inviting them into that, you know, inviting them into your homes, inviting them to, to do life with you is important, although it's risky. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, not so much from a physical standpoint, but... Um, you know, emotionally, you're kind of involved. Yeah. And it's it can get messy. Mm-hmm. It can get messy, but I think if you do it on God's terms. Right. And and you don't, like, every, every, every conversation, every, you're prayerful about it. You don't just, you know what I mean? You don't, if, if they ask you to do something for them or take them somewhere, yeah, let me ask the Lord, let me seek the Lord on that. I think that we allow our emotions to drive us sometimes when we come along somebody. We just want to help them. We just want to get them stronger, you know. And it's like we kind of like throw God out of the picture. And all of a sudden we're doing this within our own selves. Like we're going to save them. We're going to help them. And I, I feel like it, it, doesn't, it's, it doesn't take the, the risk out completely. But I think if you involve God, I mean, and truly involve him in the decision making, in the the prayerful, you know, God, what do I say to this person? How do I, you know, how do I communicate? How do I be here for this person? I, I feel like that God's grace comes on it. You know what I mean? Because we're, we're honoring his, we're, we're honoring him. He's the king. He's the Lord. And so I think that helps. Well, yeah, it, it's almost as if it doesn't really depend on our ability. Yeah, you know, it's on him. It's, it's on God. He's yeah. going to bless it even in our fallen Right. Yeah. Silly way that we do think. You know what I yeah. mean? The best plan that we can come up with. Um, now, I know for me, sometimes I can feel a little, I get uh, accused of being a little cold in those situations. And it's not so much uh, a coldness, but it's just that the, all the details don't really matter to me. Like, uh, it doesn't matter where you're at now. Where are you going? And and what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I help you get there? Mm-hmm. But I'm not emotionally tied up in in the day to day. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, it's you. It's right. okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really, and this is completely off topic. But as a pastor, I'm really bad when people uh, end relationships or what have you, some type of romantic thing. Cause, cause, cause I, I get it. I understand. I've been there before. Like your world is kind of crumbled apart right now and you're very upset. I understand that. 
but you're dating this person, you were fine before you met them, you'll probably be fine again. They're there. I'll pray for you. You know, (laughs) (laughs) of course, that is not what they want to hear in that moment. And that's not what they need from me. But that is how I'm wired. (laughs) Uh, Shake it off. Yeah. Now, marriage and stuff, we, yeah, I do treat a little differently, but you're dating somebody and now they don't want to. The world will turn on, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, around will go. But so is it better to keep it at a distance? How involved do you get? Uh, in my opinion, in my experience, when I, the, I had the most success mentoring people, when I got in their stuff and I yeah. really just told them the raw truth and I, I just was very straightforward. Now, some people can't handle that. You know, some people you got to right. kind of have kid gloves on and. You have to build that relationship first. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. But I have challenged people that I didn't know a whole lot, just like looking at them. But I, I also came from the from the point of, I know you. You know me. Right. We and, have this in common. And I love you. Yes. And I want to see you succeed. Therefore, let me help you here. Like, I think about one of the times that I backslid. And... The people at the church text me one night. I get a text message. I have it saved in my phone. All these years later, I still I took a picture of it so that it's saved in the cloud, and I every new phone, this text comes with me. Because I'm out one night. This woman and her husband are like, he's like a big brother. She is like a big sister. I love them like family. And I get a text one night, hey, we hope you're okay. We're praying for you right now. And I text them back, thanks for your prayers. To be honest, I'm at a dope house. Because I could be honest with them. And I said, don't worry, I'm not going to die. not using any drugs that are going to kill me. But thanks for your prayers. Sleep well, good night, something like that. Good night, love you guys, right? right? So I get a text back that says, okay, good night, I love you. Ten minutes later, I get this text back that says, I pray that the next piece of drugs you put in your body makes you sick and you vomit and fall out <laughs> under the power of God and you wake up in the morning with a desire to begin serving Jesus again. And, and it's this big old long thing. And I busted laughing and read it to everybody in that house and said, there are people who love me, and I don't need to be here no more. And so they were in my stuff right? because I felt safe enough to tell them exactly where I was at. And then even though they kind of got in my stuff a little bit, tell me, I hope you vomit and da-da-da-da-da, I understood it come from a place of love. Right. Because they loved me and wanted me to get myself together. And so my recovery has always been very involved with the church. It's just the, it's just the path the Lord laid out for me. And um, I know that a large part of that is because of the call of God on my life. I recognize that. But I believe that, uh, I believe that anybody that chooses their recovery and support system to 
be used by people in the church and, and surrounded by the people in, in any church. That if you choose the right people and they are walking a walk, pursuing Christ, that your chances of success are much higher. Right. Well, it, uh, you know, that prayer leads me to a place we just went through as a church where so often every Sunday there would be prayer requests for family members that don't know God. We're praying for their salvation. And I said, we're going to stop praying so nicely and really turn their salvation over to God uh, and pray that if it takes them to be in a hog pen, feeding the hogs, right. jealous of what they're eating, then that's okay if it right. leads to their salvation. Uh, so things in their life will start to change. And it may not be a change that we would want to see, mm-hmm. but if the end result is that they know Christ, right. then so be then it. Then it's worth it, right. Mm-hmm. I've often told parents that too when I worked in the the good the treatment program that I worked at, the Good Samaritan Inn, when I was administrator of that program and worked with the men every day. Sometimes parents would call me and they would talk to me and uh, what should I do? And I'd say, call the cops on them. Well, I love them. I don't want them to go to jail. Would you rather them be in jail? Would you rather visit them in jail or visit their grave? Right. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, you know, people have to go through tough things in order to get to the point to where they surrender, where they cry out to God. It reminds me of Psalm 107. They staggered to and fro in their drunkenness, and they were at their wits, and right. then they cried out to the Lord, and He heard them, and He saved them. And and that goes back to the woman at the well. Jesus said, you know, where's your husband? And she's like, well, you know, he's he's at home, and he's like, well, I know you've got five other husbands or six other husbands. I don't remember the exact number. Five. It was five. I know. I was right. Um, five other husbands, and you're the one you're with now is not even your husband. So he just, like, put it out there to her. Right. Like, yeah, tell me about it. This is what's going on with your life. And I think, but before that, she saw the love in his eyes. You know what I mean? Like, she felt... And that they, he cared. And I have had people tell me that because I used to do a lot of street ministry. And they would say, um, I can see the love in your eyes. There's something different about you. They can tell if you're there to shame them or if you're there right. to give them a hand up. Right. Because, you, you know, Christ's not using that to hurt her. No, in any way. Right. It was just to be like, let's just keep it real right now. This is what you're really doing. and And so... I, that's why I think being real with them is important too. You know, like just being just everybody being honest and transparent, and and putting your you, you know this is what I this is what I think. Asking questions. So many times in the church, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't like we think that they're high or we think that they've relapsed, but we don't want to offend them. So we're not going to call them on it. We're not going to reach out because we well we don't want to push them away. No, we don't. There's a way of going about it right. so that we don't hurt them, but don't not reach out because you you don't. It's like calling calling like the elephant in the room, you know, like it's uh, acting like it's not there when it, it is there. So let's talk about it, you know. Let's talk about the weight of it, how big it is, how much room it's taken up, and what we got to do to get it out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
we're coming to the end of our, I think that's a good thought to, for us to end on today. Uh, remember, if you're listening and you're close to Fairborn, if you need us, the church, we're here on Vine Street, 155 Vine. Uh, we're on the website, uh, fairborngbc.org, as well as Facebook and all the other places. Uh, if you need us, reach out and we'll talk to you next time.